Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Also, I'm Kate Jinx. I'm Brady Lancaster. Jinxy, so good to be back in the same room as you. I know. I mean, we talked about how much Melbourne missed you last week <laughs> and how much Sydney hopefully missed me. I brought so much of Sydney back with me. A brutal sunburn on my back. Oof. A remaining little spike from a sea urchin still lodged in my foot. Took one step in one of those famous ocean baths and I got a permanent memory. It was not what I was expecting. The text uh, you sent me about that was not. I thought it was just going to be like a beautiful, a beautiful panoramic view coming in, but instead, no, no, a sea urchin. Yeah, it was a sea urchin. Shout out to the the lobby bar first aid kit at the Ace Hotel. Uh, they gave me tweezers and burn ointment. I recommend them enough. Yeah, I'm just not made for the outdoors. I don't just come to terms with that. Sydney can be wild. She sure can. Everyone there is so relaxed, though, just bathing in the ocean on a Wednesday morning. Okay, that's what you think. Yeah. Well, they've got to relax somehow with the, the cost of because he lives. They are dog paddling. What's that? What's that particular? <laughs> what's that little? What's the thing you do? Like the duck paddle? Oh yeah, like frantic duck paddling. Yeah, to... like paddling so f- hard under the surface and yeah. like <laughs> we're butchering this metaphor. <laughs> but yes, I completely understand. They're sunning themselves before they go and. I don't know, paid $900 a week for a studio apartment. Exactly. Exactly. I know it well. (laughs) I know the inner turmoil well. You had a cute weekend by the looks of it. You got outdoors again. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm really like settling into my twilight years. Like I've never used that little silver haired grandma emoji more than when I've been planning my weekends recently. (laughs) Uh, I went to, I went on a house tour. I mean, look, it's a fine thing to do, but it's yeah. just, you know, if you're doing that kind of thing every weekend, it does feel sus, doesn't it? It's giving very architectural digest. 
Well, that's great. Yeah. I went to a lecture and tour of the Wall Street House, also known as the Boyd House Number no. 2, designed mm. by Robin Boyd, very famous Melbourne architect, for his family in 1957. It's a really beautiful, you know, iconic, modernist Melbourne home with a really structurally interesting roof and mm. beautiful furniture, you know, like rare Featherston chairs and yeah, uh, incredible, like almost shag carpeting. Always. And lots of like very deep oranges and purples and reds. And then a beautiful courtyard that separates the adults pavilion and the children's pavilion. Oh, nothing Robin likes more than getting the kids out of the way. Well, exactly. He had three kids. <laughs> but yeah, look, it was just really lovely to go to, you know, like this little sit down lecture that we weren't expecting. <laughs> Sounds gorge. It was really lovely. It was really nice to cross over, cross over the Yarra. Truly a really nice way to spend a weekend, yeah, like a wholesome great. activity. It really was. It was lovely. Yeah. I kind of want to do more things with my friends that don't involve like just sitting and drinking. I love sitting and drinking, but like. Oh, I sat and drank after. Great. Yeah. I did the walking first. Perfect. Yeah. You did that the, the touring. You could spy into the neighbor's house as oh. well. Terrible, terrible bastards. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> terrible bastards. Yeah, I know. We were just like, oh, look, you can see inside. That guy, he's sitting with his dog on the couch. <laughs> Have you ever been to the house museum in Kew? I think you'd get a real kick out of that. No. The Lion House. I forgot the name for a second there. The Lion House Museum, L-Y-O-N. I was doing some copywriting for like a still doesn't exist, but like art project a few years ago and they referenced it. And so I was like, oh, I'll go to this as research. I was a baby freelancer. So I was like doing research Mm -hmm. and I like took myself to Kew and it's this husband and wife who built a museum slash living space and it is all designed for the public to tour through and they opened like a huge new wing that's just for the public. But like I found their living spaces to be the most fascinating. Like his office is scattered with papers and not in like a pretentious art installation kind of way. And like the books on the shelves weren't just like fancy highbrow books. They were like some kind of like pulpy romance novels mm-hmm. and things like that. And like the shopping bags that they had. Oh yeah, that's what I want. Pegged up to the wall in the kitchen. Like that was the shit that I was like obsessed with. Yeah, that's good. That's the stuff I want to see. Yeah, how they really live. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, highly recommend. Well, yeah, if you are interested in seeing like Robin Boyd's work, uh, there was a really good uh, design files profile of this particular house many years ago, like 2014. Um, but there are some beautiful photos up and it looks exactly like that. I saw some different kind of houses in Sydney, but similarly arty. I went to the Dohosa show at the MCA, which I had been reading about quite a bit in the lead up to it, but there was truly nothing could have prepared me for being in these rooms and like the scale that he works in is just Phenom. Like they're enormous installations, right? Enormous. Life-size replicas of a stairwell of like a very classic New York apartment building and like a hallway that you can walk through that looks exactly down to the like the little broken light switch on the wall and the fire extinguisher sign. It's just the most beautiful commentary on like home and moving through the world and 
Oh, sounds great. So good. Highly recommend. Jinxie, what have you been watching since I last spoke to you? Well, I'm still obsessed with Poker Face, even though we talked about it for Ev's last <laughs> last episode. I was bowled over by episode five. It was really unfair that you didn't get to make a podcast just about episode five, because as soon as I saw Natasha Leone with that, was it Floppy Hughes t-shirt? I was droopy like, Hughes. Droopy Hughes. I was mm-hmm. like, Kate Jinx would be a fan of this band if it was real. Yes. And it was, oh God, anyway, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was just a perfect episode. Perfect. An absolutely perfect episode perfect. of television. <laughs> anyway, I started watching another show. In fact, I finished the whole thing, a detective series called Three Pines. It's on Amazon. It's one of those shows that I had not heard about no one seems to be writing about it yeah to the point where you're like is it really old is it just me did I miss the memo (laughs) but I really I I did really like it It was very slow to start at Mm. first I was gonna you were almost gonna ditch it I really was yeah but I pulled through it's based on a series of novels by Louise Penny uh, about this one chief inspector Armand Gamache who is a Detective in Quebec, uh, in Canada, and it stars Alfred Molina as that detective, and that is the one reason why I started watching it. I've missed him. Oh, he is good in it. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. He's like, what a good actor for a detective, right? God, yeah. Great. It's much darker than Poker Face, a lot less laughs. In fact, maybe none. Um, (laughs) It is in an area of Quebec uh, called Three Pines, there is a very large like First Nations community there who have always butted up against uh, the police with very good reason and one girl in their community has gone missing and so uh, Gamache is basically there to find what happened to her but, of course, at the same time, lots of other murders start happening and he has to find out who done it. Uh, and this is a, not a how catch them. It is a who done it, uh, <laughs> but it's really good. It's like, it's a lot slower. It's a lot darker. And they, um, I noticed that Tracy Deer directed a few episodes and um, she also actually acts as an indigenous consultant to the whole series. Mm. Uh, she made this film beans that came out maybe a year ago. I think it played at Toronto, maybe a couple of years ago. It kind of didn't, go many places but it's worth tracking down uh it's about this major land dispute uh as seen through the eyes of a young mohawk girl and it's based on her own experiences it's a really good Mm. film beans beans it's called yeah this this is the name of the or nickname of the of the main girl that sounds great yeah it's really good so three pines on on amazon Three, three pines three stars 3.5. 3.5. 3.5. 3.5. That's a that's high praise. 3.5 pines. <laughs> I am going to take you up on that tip because I really need a new narrative show. I feel like I say this like every second or third episode and then I threat- Which is crazy because we watch so much goddamn television. <laughs> I don't know how we could ever be needing more television. I know. And I, I had made the decision that I wasn't going to do The Last of Us. I had heard the hype about it starting. And then I was like, ah, I need to do it. And then that third episode, everyone seemed to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And in a way the hype around it made me even more resistant in like such a bitchy little contrarian way. Mm-hmm. I was like, if everyone likes this, this much, it can't possibly be something I'll enjoy. Again, something we discuss 
all the time. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched it either, but I'm going to. Yeah. Because I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I was like, you can't do zombies. I hate zombies. I like the Jarmusch film, but I really don't like zombie. I don't like, like walking dead. I can't, can't do it. Okay. Not my vibe. But this, yeah, all right, I'm going to do it. You're going to give it a go? I mean, the Murray Bartlett aspect. Yeah. I feel like the number of- How can you say no? The number of people- Look, based on the stills that have been shared for the last week and a half alone, I'm like, okay, this is a story of like two gay men and one of them dies or both of them die. That's what I'm assuming. I've got no idea. I know nothing about the series. (laughs) I know nothing. (laughs) I knew nothing about that episode. All I know is I'm assuming from the stills that I've watched, (laughs) someone shared it on Instagram being like, this is the best episode of television that has ever existed ever. And I was Mm. like, all right, well, you just are trying to make me hate it. Mm -hmm. Come on. Also, have you ever heard of Scary Island? (laughs) Because offensive. Exactly, justice. And speaking of, the reason I need a new narrative show is because I have been going hard on a new Housewives franchise. You've got to balance it out. You really do. I'm up to the rebooted, the first rebooted season of Real Housewives of Miami. Okay. So Real Housewives of Miami started like 10, 12 years ago. Three seasons of mixed greatness Mm -hmm. but pretty good for a housewives series better than salt lake city or on par with salt lake city okay and then the like i guess bravo didn't renew contracts or renew the show it went dormant and then peacock rebooted it i mean bless peacock right now bless them they rebooted it last year brought back a lot of the last cast there's Larsa Pippen post her falling out with the Kardashians and her entirely new face and body doing OnlyFans, recently separated from her Chicago Bulls husband, Scotty Pippen. And now in real life, she is dating Scotty Pippen's former teammate, Michael Jordan's son, okay. Michael Jordan Jr. All right. There's also, I think it might be the gayest Housewives series ever. Well, that didn't sound very gay. Martina Navratilova's wife. Excuse me, what? Is one of the real housewives. I'm sorry, you've buried the lead here for me. I needed to. I needed to. (laughs) I needed this reaction from you ever since I saw her introduced. I was like, I can't wait to tell Kate about this. I mean, what? Martina Navratilova makes art now. Tennis themed art. Oh, God. And where I'm up to watching... Her wife, who I think is named Julia, she's a Russian former Miss Universe supermodel. (laughs) And she is very good friends with one of the housewives, Adriana, who they're very clearly trying to set up like wants to, as Dana on Salt Lake City put it, Barbie scissor kick with Julia, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is how housewives talk about lesbian sex. And I mean, so do lesbians. Let's be, yeah, let's be fair. Barbie scissor kicks. <laughs> and Adriana, meanwhile, is doing the art show for Martina. So I'm so excited to see where this leads us. No spoilers, everybody. Mm-hmm. But then there's also another housewife, Alexia. Sorry, I'm still not super familiar with all their names. Alexia is her name. Her first husband, she has two sons with. He, they were married for two years. He is one of the members of the documentary the cocaine cowboy about like very famous oh. miami drug yeah, dealers right. okay everything's happening in miami and then apparently season five which is currently airing is just 
a perfect season of Housewives. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm, are the Navratilova got me in? Yeah. You could start at season four. Oh, I, I can't go all the way. You can't. If no. you need any backstory about the other women, I can give it to I you. Know. you <laughs> I know where to go. You start with Julian Martina. <laughs> And you will have a great time. I know where to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's where we can go. Hey, you had a piece come out in Vogue this week. I did. A little a little scoop on the backstory of the relationship between subjects of this podcast, G-Flip and Chriselle from Selling Sunset. We were pretty early in discussing that relationship, I like to think. We were. Other people doubted it. Mm, they did. They did. And we were like... Iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I use the word a lot. And at this time I really mean it. So you got to meet them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful piece. Thank you. I went to G flips apartment in like November. It was just after they had both been at the Arias in Sydney. Chriselle thought the Arias red carpet was very chaotic. This is all stuff that's not in the piece. This is just a scoop for our listeners in New Jingsy. <laughs> Chriselle was like, I've never been to a red carpet where people just pull you aside and they're like, I'm going to talk to you now. She's like, usually there are publicists. I don't know. Uh, another thing that wasn't in the interview, which is in the current issue of Vogue Australia, it's the World Pride issue that just came out. Another thing that didn't make the final piece is that Chriselle really wants to go to an auction in Australia. She, uh, like G-Flip, is looking to buy a house, wants to build a home studio. Chriselle is so excited to help them do this. And is like, I just told G, you have to take me to an auction. And I was like, why do you want to go to an auction? And she was like, we don't do them in America. And then I just had a flashback to watching Selling Sunset and to Chriselle, I imitated oh, no. the realtors um, from Sunset <laughs> and I like held up my hand like a little phone next to my face and I went 400,000 no conditions like early close <laughs> and she was like yeah like yeah that's it yeah that's doing it. an impression of someone <laughs> essentially someone to their face like cool good job Brody <laughs> Go meet another celebrity. You'll do really well. At least uh, you didn't ring a bell or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. It was a really fun assignment, a very fun challenge to have to talk to people, not about their work, but about their love lives. I've never had to do that before. Yeah, I know. It is a, it's a weird premise, isn't it? Usually I like avoid the topic. Mm. And I'm like, tell me about your art. No, not this time. Not interested in the art. <laughs> and they've been making a lot of it. They have been appearing in a lot of places. Oh, <laughs> I'm setting you up. <laughs> They're making a lot of it. And I was like, oh, where are we going with this? Yeah. So they appeared in the finale of the Elwood Generation Q at Bet and Tina's goddamn wedding. Bet and Tina got married. Congrats. They, I know. Congrats to the happy couple, but uh, a lot of drama went down at this wedding, as you can imagine. Of course. But it does beg the question, who are they friends with, Bet or Tina? Yeah, and who who's the plus one, you know? Did Chriselle get the invite and then G-Flip was the plus one or vice versa? I think it would have to be Chriselle and then maybe Chriselle helped like Tina buy a house for someone. Yeah, or... that's what I feel like. She's She sold them a house or yeah. she like hooked them up with some kind of lease. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I can. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. 
and then brought a date and everyone was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't a man. I guess so. Who knows? There weren't many men at that wedding. This wasn't the backstory. The the writers of the Elwood Generation Q didn't write in this explanation. No, they didn't write many things in this season. <laughs> Did they, they remember to write that episode? They remembered to write that episode half of it, I would say. Okay. It wasn't like a strong close. That's a shame. Whatever. It's Is fine. it coming back for a third season? No, that was the third season. Yeah, oh. it's um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be. I mean, I and I hope it is renewed. As much as I love to bitch about it, I also think like every person I know who watches it loves to bitch about it. But they all watch it. We yeah. all watch it. It's like no, it's nowhere near as good as the original series. Mm. Obviously, that was like a really pulpy soap opera with like a lot of sex and incredible scenes with Jenny at a carnival. Like nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing can compare. Nothing can hold a candle to Jenny Schechter. Nope. At a carnival, off a carnival. Oh God. It's all Dead good. in a pool. I mean. R.I.P. to a queen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jinxie, it's been a while between book club episodes of the podcast, but we finally turned off the friggin' TV and picked up a book. <laughs> the same one. The for same once. one. I know. Shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah, we both just finished reading We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. Yeah, we were sent copies from our friends at Well Read. They sent us both a little copy, which I think was like a, their book of the month a couple months ago. I think it was their January book of the month, maybe. Yeah, and I took it with me on my holiday. I finished it on the plane coming home. Tears streaming down my face, as is very common for me on a plane. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was like a great little weekend read. Yeah, I got through it very quickly. Like yeah. I just, I, you know, I've raced through it. Ripped through it. Yeah. So I wasn't familiar with Catherine Newman. I don't know about you, but she, I looked up the stuff that she had written before and I was like, oh, that's why she's written a lot of children's books and also books about children, like getting pregnant, raising young people. Yeah. She writes a lot of memoirs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So this is her first novel. Her first book for adults is the way that it's being framed. Her first fiction novel for adults. And very much about adults. It's about two best friends, Ash and Edie, lifelong best friends. So they met in like preschool and I think they're supposed to be in their like late 40s, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So one has teenage daughters, another has like a young son and the story all takes place in hospice care because Edie is dying of cancer And Ash narrates the novel and as her best friend is just dealing with both the caretaking of um, her best friend's end of life and also her own family, her own relationships and what it means to lose the person she describes as like her backup hard drive um, who has experienced everything that she has ever experienced essentially. Yeah, which is such a great way of putting that kind of best friend, isn't it? God, yeah. Um, I learned a term recently for a friend that you've had since you were a kid, mm. this friend of mine in India described his friend as his underpants friend. My sister and I were like, huh? What? Huh? And it's because they used to like hang out in their underpants because they were such little kids. Oh. And so they're underpants friends. Isn't that a great phrase? Oh my God. So well, I guess Ash and Edie are underpants friends. They're almost. underpants friends. We we could all hope to be an underpants friend. God, I love that. Isn't that so cute? So they're best friends and they grew up in Manhattan doing all of the Manhattan things. 
And then Ash has moved to Western Massachusetts with her family and convinces Edie and her husband that Edie should move to Western Massachusetts to go to a palliative care center that is really close to Ash's house. And at first I was like, huh, this is such a strange situation. <laughs> Cause it means that the husband is back in Manhattan with the kid, with the son and is unable to visit. And, and essentially the choice is made. This is very early on. This is not spoiler territory. Yeah. This is in like the blurb. It's the setup. Yeah. That, yeah, that she chooses to essentially say goodbye to them and especially to the son and then to move away. And that just seems like such a, I don't know. I've read a lot of reviews that say that makes like, it's the one thing that just makes so much sense, but I've, I oh. did struggle with it throughout the book. Yeah. You feel the absence of her husband or I did at least I, you know, he's one of the three characters in this book whose names I kept confusing. With oh my one God. Another. All the J's. Why does everyone have to have a J name? Did you feel the same way? At one point <laughs> I wrote like a note in my phone of like a key of like who the J's were. Daughter, <laughs> Jules, her friend's husband is Jude and mm-hmm. her friend's brother is Jonah. Yeah, I found that difficult. I did are too. Are we idiots? I don't think so. I mean, when the other people's names are like Honey and Belle, yeah. it is confusing. It is confusing. <laughs> I just lost track. It's also a very short novel. So yeah. it's not like you get that into that rhythm in the first 50 pages and you're like, oh, now these are all my friends for mm. 300 more pages. Yeah. It's like a you know, 200 page novel. It's, it's quite brief. It's quite slim. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the exact same way. I was like, who the fuck's Jude now? Why is she texting him? Uh, Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess she was, but yeah. Um, but look, I really enjoyed it. Mm. It was, um, I think Catherine Newman, I haven't read any of her other books, you know, but she writes with such warmth. Like Mm. this whole book is just so warm for a book that is, essentially set in a palliative care center where you know the ending of the book like you if you're in a palliative care center it's very rare that one gets out of Mm. it so and it's really nice to be able to talk about something where we don't have to worry about spoilers really because I mean you know it's a cancer book it's a cancer book yeah um, but yeah, I, it was really kind of warm, funny, um, empathetic. And I think that is very much largely in, because Catherine Newman, uh, her own best friend, Ali died of ovarian cancer in 2015. And this mm. is very much based on that experience, uh, and also experiences that she and Ash, the main character who it's written in first person has with all these other people. So the same time that, you know, Edie is stuck in this palliative care center, Ash is having this kind of breakdown. She's separated from her husband and she's had, she's on this kind of like sexual awakening and she's having all these random sexual experiences Mm. That are like never hidden within the book, you know, she's not hiding them from other people, including her own children. You know, she's very open about everything. And yeah, there was this kind of sense of sort of fun and warmth throughout the book for Mm. a book that is, you know, like you were saying that you were tears streaming down your face, flames up the side of your neck. (laughs) 
<laughs> I yeah, I, I didn't get me in the end, but I, I don't think I've ever cried reading a book. We always have this same conversation about like movies, TV shows, books where I'm like, I sobbed and you're like, I really liked it. Didn't cry. Yeah, I mean, God, I'm not a heartless bitch, but um, <laughs> I just have anytime anyone I think. I think the thing that gets me is anytime anyone expresses their feelings. Sure. <laughs> it's just like, it's so like bare to me. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you're really exposing yourself. That's so embarrassing. I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh yeah. I get that. I mean, I do cry in films quite yeah. a bit. But yeah. I, yeah. I've never cried reading. Oh, the woman on the plane next jealous. to me asked me how my sandwich was. And I was like, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> it's really good. Chicken sandwich. Um, yeah, the the voiciness of the book, I think it's it is so familiar. You can you get the sense that this is uh, an experience the author knows well. I just found some of the voiciness a little like hard to stomach. Maybe mm-hmm. like this is such a weird finicky thing. But, like her use of adverbs kind of irritated me. Like she would describe someone as vomiting pinkly or like speaking cryingly and. It was, I get what you're doing. I get why, you know, it's like a pattern that establishes over the book. It's like a repeated, you know, theme, I guess. But um, I was like, oh, again with the LYs. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, really? Um, No, but I I did think that I often felt like it read like a uh, monologue in a TV episode. Yeah. But I... I don't mean that in a negative way. No. Because I think that, I mean, it, it surely has already been optioned, but <laughs> it does feel very much like it could, like, like it has that sort of directness, I suppose. Mm. Like she describes what she's doing as she's doing it, you know, like you, you, you there's yes. not much left to the imagination, I suppose, when yeah. you're reading it, which is something, they're the kinds of books I don't usually read. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not usually what I choose to read, I suppose. I, most of the books I read, I guess, novels are quite economical mm. and this is very much not that. Mm. But I, because of that, I think I really enjoyed reading this, like a really yeah. novelly novel. Mm. And Ash is so in the day-to-day caretaking responsibilities of her best friend. I really loved the moments, though, where she kind of zoomed out and, like, we – got into her memories of their friendship and their life together. You know, there's like an anecdote of them traveling together and meeting up in a world pre phones where they just picked a spot on a map and said the date and time they were going to meet there. And, you know, the description of like eating a tuna sandwich and having the oil dripping down her hands and thinking her friend wasn't going to show up. And then she's there and I saved her a sandwich. And it's just like such a beautiful little moment I was like oh these are real life friends who have like had this whole life together yeah I loved all of that and I loved all of the like little musical references talking about REM etc you know like I really enjoyed all of those little like cultural touchstones that friends have the ability to kind of speak through the things that they have enjoyed in the past or shared connections Mm. um the whole book just feels really really lived in Mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed that very much Mm. um uh reading books about palliative care centers is not always the thing I love to do the most Uh, I'm sure everyone feels (laughs) feels that way Next week, in a, couple, in a couple of days after this comes out, it will be five years since my mum died and she did die in a palliative care centre and she had cancer. Uh, and I spent 
a lot of time there and I spent the last like essentially full 24 hours just there mm-hmm. and stayed overnight the night before and um yeah anyway it was like a really beautiful sad experience obviously yeah um and something that I wouldn't give back for the world mm-hmm. um it's really important to me I think if you haven't experienced like a hospice or a palliative care center you can't really work out what it is. Like it seems quite a mythical place of sorts and like this weird, sad place that you go to die essentially. And what this book did that I was really impressed by was that it really caught the banality of it, the banality of hospice, the banality of death uh, in general. And the, the idea that, yeah, you are kind of waiting for, you know, someone to, you know, shuffle off the mortal coil but the same boring shit just happens. Like you're still getting weird phone calls and emails or someone's hungry or someone's tired, or you're still gossiping about something stupid that you shouldn't be spending your last hours thinking about, mm. you know, or you're Googling like, what should I ask before my mum dies? Things like that. Like, it's just, it's a really bizarre mindset mm. um, to get into, but I really enjoyed how much this book covered all of those things, how it was really banal and silly and kind of lovely in some, at some points and mm-hmm. yeah, and comforting. And it also, it doesn't set it up as this kind of beautiful place either. Like it really captures quite a lot of the discomfort that, uh, you know, the person who is in there feels and also the visitors sometimes feel and like all of the like bodily errors that happen. Like the book does not shy away from a lot of like fluid talk, for instance. Yes. (laughs) Um, And issues with like catheters and blah, blah, blah. And like all of that stuff is just, it just becomes your reality so fast. Mm. Like that is, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with all this like medical stuff that you've never had to deal with in your life. You just have to become good at it. You just have to become good at it. It's just like, it's just part and parcel with your life now. Mm -hmm. And the book really captured that. And so I was really impressed by that. And I, I think it's, it would be a really good read for people who have had those palliative care hospice experiences. Mm. It makes it seem like a place too, where obviously everyone is there doing their own version of care, but the little like bubble the world of people in that space the characters I guess who come in and out of the room and in and out of the book are all they really color that world in as well in a really lovely way yeah there was one moment where you know and the character is really funny um the main character and she she like notices a helium balloon at the hospice and it says good luck and she says yeah good luck dying like it's it you know it captures all of that kind of yeah I really enjoyed those moments. Yeah. She has to do the task that none of us ever wants to do, which is inviting our best friend's other best friend (laughs) to come and in this case, say goodbye to her Mm. in her last days. But um, having to swallow that pride and be like, all right, there are other people in your life. I accept it. Uh Yep. Yep. I'm not going to make a thing about it now here. (laughs) Yeah. I did start to uh, rule the meetings of my mum's life. So I get it. The appointment schedule. I know all about it. I'd be a fucking monster. I'd be like, no. Uh, This book is getting a lot of comparisons to Meg Mason's Sorrow and Bliss. I really loved that book very much. Me too. And also Nora Ephron. I can see it. 
Mm-hmm. I can see it. Mm. I saw some Meg Wallitzer comparisons as oh, well. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Look, a New York family. It's always going to draw the comparison. Jewish family. Yeah. Great. I did like the way the book dealt with religion. There's this recurring motif of like, how do I think about, how do I pray for someone? Like, what does it mean to pray for someone when you're not a religious person, which I can very much relate to? And so the <laughs> Ash, the narrator character, just kind of imagines like putting a little heart-shaped sticker on someone's face. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of it. Like it's you just, it. here's my love. There it is on mm-hmm. you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so she gives it to people throughout the book. Little stickers on their face. Sweet. I've got to see also yeah. for this. It's Sigrid Nunez's What Are You Going Through from 2020. She's really well known for writing The Friend, which is like one of the best books I've read in the last decade. But I really enjoyed What Are You Going Through? It's a book about this woman who is, from memory, she was like quite... She's quite like brittle and she accompanies a friend who is dying to, to this house, like away from where they both live, uh, where this woman plans to, her friend plans to end her own life. And she sort of just needs company or needs someone around her. And the main character doesn't really know when it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, she just sort of needs to be around Uh, And it really dealt a lot with grief in such an interesting way and just like mortality in general. I just, I really love Sigrid Nunez's writing. I think she's an incredible writer. Mm, That Um, sounds great. Yeah, it's really good. And a C also for me is All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Toes because that came up in a lot of interviews with Catherine Newman when she was talking about writing this book and about her um, friend Allie who actually died in a book that she read when her friend died. Mm. So I want to read that. Yeah, me too. We all want impossible things. <laughs> Jinxie, one of the impossible things that we both want <laughs> is more time to write our own stuff. Mm, yeah. And this is something we've kind of been tossing around in our talk about goals. No, we're not doing it again. Or just like in our like off mic conversations is like, okay, we've got our work. We've got our podcast. We've got our freelancy bits and pieces. What about the stuff that we just want to do? Our writing retreat stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's always there. It's always bubbling away. It's always a possibility that we don't pursue. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. When I saw that guru in India, he told me that I really needed to pursue it. Did he? He gave me firm deadlines. Yeah, it is this thing that is always bubbling away for both of us. And I think about it a lot, but do I do it? No. Mm. It's the easiest thing to like put to the bottom of the priorities list is the thing no one's waiting to read although maybe we both have people waiting to read something that we eventually will write yeah but it's not like there's no major deadline for it unless you assert yourself but then you've got all these other things so I mean Mm -hmm. aside from our jobs I mean and pod we both do freelance right you a lot more than me these days I don't do a lot of it but you know those jobs they so they tend to uh, go a, straight to the top. And there's a dollar sign attached to them. You're going to get to invoice for it very soon after you, you submit. You sure do. You sure do. Paid work will always win out for me. I'm coming up to a, a time, though, where I have one more freelance 
deadline on the horizon. And I think the last time I just had one was like August last year. Okay. I have been juggling so many multiple things for the last six months that now instead of doing the thing that I normally do, which is go, oh, fuck, I've got one deadline left, one piece left, one invoice left to send. Time to start reaching out, seeing who (laughs) wants an article, seeing who I can pitch to. You know, I need to just see what happens in the space left maybe and not be terrified of empty space on my calendar or to-do list. Yeah, I know that pitch frenzy feeling. I mean, I used to be like, oh, God, I've written everything. I'm going to pitch. And then you pitch too many things and then the people, they sometimes want it and then you're stuck having to do it. I hate when the people sometimes want it. (laughs) (laughs) Then I have to follow through on what I promise. (laughs) But, like, I've... It's bizarre to me that I can say that I've done it before. Like I really want to write a novel. I have an idea. I have a few notes. I wrote like 300 words last year. You've already published a goddamn book, BL. That's the thing is like, I know that I ostensibly can do it. I have done it before. Mm. And I'm like, what, what were the circumstances then that I don't have now? You know, Mm. I had a deadline. I had an advance. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, I went down from a full-time job to four days a week. I did spend that spare day often freelancing, but I had an outline for a book and every week I sat down and I, I wrote something. I also asked a friend a few months in to be my like accountability person. I would just send her as like a, we called it a human deadline. I would just send her whatever I had written that day. And if the week passed and I hadn't sent her anything, she'd be like, I didn't see any pages from you today. Mm. So it's kind of like a writing version of like Teddy Mellencamp's accountability, <laughs> except it's not like a thinly veiled eating disorder. <laughs> Have you seen that cafe in Japan? I think there's a cafe in Tokyo. I feel like maybe I sent this to you. Or Oh, you did. Yeah. Have we already talked about it? No, we haven't talked about it. So there's this cafe in Tokyo where this guy has set up this, opened up a cafe and he invites people to come in and work from it. But you have to submit exactly what you're going to work on and what your deadline is. And then you can pick three different levels of essentially stress that you are, are paying for. And one of them is either he... When you finish and you go and pay, they just say, did you finish? And then you have to answer to that. And the other one is that someone comes in and like puts a firm hand on your shoulder, I think it is, and then asks like how you're doing behind it. you or something? Yeah, and the other one is that he like stands behind you like the whole time with like his dog in his arms, just standing behind you while you're writing, while you're meeting a deadline and lots of students use it. And it's like, apparently it's really hard to get into and you're not allowed to like drink any alcohol until you finish what you came in to do. Like they won't serve you alcohol. Do we need to open one and it just sounds good, be right? the customers and proprietors? Maybe that's what we need. It's like Pomodoro, but a person. I love Pomodoro. Yeah. I think that's going to be the way that I get anything done. Is, I mean, it, it's it's great for a reason. Yeah, the increments. Have you ever done morning pages? I've never done morning pages. I see the the girlies on the internet love to wake up and do their make um, their iced 
lattes. Yeah, the stay-at-home girlfriends of the internet love to journal. I always wonder what they are writing about, what they just have to get out of those heads. Look, that sounds so cunty to me, like they don't have thoughts. But I'm just like, what is preoccupying you? I'm, I'm genuinely curious to know. But no, all that is to say I have never done any form of like journaling or morning pages or like vomiting from my head onto the page. Yeah, I don't really do it either. I mean, I keep a lot of notes, but nothing as a journal. And I've tried a few times, but I think when I was a kid, I read so many like journals and Mm. like published diaries that I think I got into my head at a really early age that that's what you were writing for. You were writing your diary to get it published. And I've never been able to get it out of that mode. Like I cannot. It's it's just like you can't actually write stuff what you actually feel because you're like well this gets published one day like I don't think for the record I do not think I am a person whose diaries or notebooks would ever be published or anybody in this whole entire world would want to read them but I can't flick it I can't flick that switch back no Helen Garner has set a dangerous example for all of us Helen Garner and Anne Frank those two have a lot to answer for Susan Sontag don't get me started (laughs) I literally have a diary from when I was like 11 years old and I was like if you're reading this one day like writing to the person I think has like uncovered my diary at 11 years old I'm just like I like this boy and the next page is like he dumped me I got rid of my teenage diaries because I did try to keep them every now and then. But, you know, mine was really like I went to a Silverchair concert. Uh, but actually I was there for the support band and it's like, kid, you are 14 and you're already being such a little bitch. Like, come on, enjoy frog stomp. If I could go back in time, I would say to that little girl, that drum is going to be on Real Housewives. (laughs) You don't just have to be there for the boredoms. You don't have to love the Japanese band. I love that you've always been the exact same person. Oh, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? Absolutely (laughs) awful. Maybe maybe I shouldn't be writing. Maybe I shouldn't be writing. I bring up the artist's way and like morning pages because a podcast that we both listen to, Everything is Fine, that you put me on to, they interviewed Julia Cameron, famous for writing the artist's way. Yes. And it's a pretty unhinged episode. I don't know if you've heard it yet. I still haven't listened. Well, because she famously thinks that writing is like enjoyable. And if you listen to this, I don't trust anyone. No. Who thinks so that. if you listen to this, you're like, oh, I see why you think it's enjoyable. I don't know. There's something a bit unhinged there, but, ah, interesting. Um, but I, it did make me go, do I just do the morning pages? Yeah. Do I just do them? Should I try it? I had a friend a few years ago who asked, who kind of sent out an email to, I guess like a few friends who were kind of like creative in different ways and was like, join me in doing the artist way. We'll do like a structured thing. We'll all do it together. We'll meet up and talk through it. And like, I've got to say everyone who's ever done it has found it so valuable and so like fulfilling. Or do they just say that because they've spent so much time doing it? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I hear from people often that they're like, I started and then I gave up and then I went back to the start and I finished it and it was so rewarding. And Mm. I'm like, that sounds nice, but time consuming. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it like when I'm free from deadlines or something. There's also like, um, do you follow Beth Pickens on Instagram. I think think she was actually on everything is fine recently. Just talking about like the craft and like making time for it, whatever the it is 
for you. I always make time to watch the craft. Always. Can always find an hour and a half to do that. <laughs> That's the thing. I can always find two hours in my day to look at TikTok. Yeah, see, I can't. But that said, I flew through three pines on Amazon. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't have time. When am I going to write a book? I don't I've got need to watch that show. I've got all these Real Housewives of Miami to watch. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've got to see Martina Navratilova's art show. I read this piece in The Guardian recently that I found very interesting. It was by Stephanie Convery. And it was called You Must Show Up For Your Art. In it, she talks about like her own writing struggles to get this done. I can't remember. It's like a a friend of hers. I can't remember the relationship. But someone she knows who is a writer, he has this situation for himself where he has to write for half an hour every single day or do nothing. So he has a 30 minute window aside in his schedule every single day and either use that time to do writing about whatever you want, or you do nothing. Like you can't look at your phone. You can't look at anything. Mm. You just have to like sit somewhere and think Mm. and you, or like have a nap, do whatever, but you have to make that choice. I was like, that actually could work for me. I think that could work for me. I'm sorry if I did mm, too much as no. you were talking because there truly is something in that because I, I search for distractions and even when I'm conscious that I'm doing it and annoyed at myself for doing it, I do it. Mm. So if I had no opportunity for distractions, what's the alternative? Just sitting down and writing. Yeah, just sitting writing. down. Yeah. I, uh, I remember this great Miranda July lecture at the Opera House a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. She talked about locking her phone in her car glove box and then going into her apartment and writing so that it was just like nowhere near her. She couldn't be distracted at all. Mm. I like that. And I, I have that. used those programs before where you lock out the internet from your mm. computer and they do work. Yeah. I have started sometimes like when I catch myself when I'm working, you know, you write one sentence and then you pick up your phone for a treat or I do anyway. When I catch myself doing that, I've started taking my phone and putting it in the in-tray that you gave me, oh, your yeah. Muji in-tray. I think just that physical, you know, having to reach the moment of having to reach over and grab it. I'm like, I don't have anything. I don't need it. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not going there for anything. That's good. It's just the, yeah, the physical barrier between you and your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's so annoying to talk about being addicted to my phone. Like what a boring character trait but- if I was in a novel. <laughs> Well, don't write your novel about that. No, I won't. Put your phone down and write something else. Yeah. I did see a really good reel on Instagram. I can't believe I'm starting a sentence that way from Johnny Nicholas, the astrologer. And she essentially just, it's advice that I've heard before in a similar message, which is essentially just, if you're going to make something, whatever you're going to make, whatever creative project you're going to pursue, treat it like a hobby say, I can be bad at this. Like no one's going to have to see this. This isn't my job. I'm not being judged or scored on this. And I mean, I guess it's like common advice for a reason because there are those like those blockers holding you back Mm. of like, this has to be good enough. This has to be some level of quality for anyone to read it. Maybe it is like a morning pages kind of approach. Like it's just getting stuff on the page. Free flowing, let the spirit run through you. 
Yeah, play some word association with myself and not worry about anyone reading it, but kind of hope someone's going to read it one day. Stop blocking yourself. Be more yes and, BL. (laughs) Yuck. Our improv novels. They're going to write themselves. I have a kind of a see also, it's just a website that I find just a constantly fulfilling, funny, cool resource. It sounds so cheesy to be like when I want to be inspired, but kind of when I want to be inspired. It's a website, The Creative Independent. It describes itself as a growing resource of emotional and practical guidance for creative people. And it's kind of a project that Kickstarter publishes. Its co-founder and editor-in-chief is Brandon Stosoy, who you might have read in years past on websites like Pitchfork doing music reviews. I really love it. It also, what's the artist way woman's name? Julia. Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron. Like the logo for the Creative Independent is like inspired by some theme in Julia Cameron's. Okay. The way of the artist. Let's all follow her, I guess. I guess. Let's do it. I don't know. You hear a poetry on this uh, episode and you might not. Oh, really? Mm, Say no more. Well, now I'm going to (laughs) listen. I've only got one, um, apart from that Guardian article and the uh, podcast episode, which we'll link all these in the show notes. Uh, There's the really long-running podcast Long Form that I've been listening to for many, many years. They're up to, like, episode 520 at the moment. It's hosted by Evan Ratliff. He interviews pretty much every major and minor uh, American writer slash author that you have ever heard of and never heard of. And it's always really interesting to hear about, I don't know, these people's process, you know, especially when you're like, you've written how many books? I've never heard of you. Yeah. But you're getting it done. On long form, you can hear from Taffy Brodessa Ackner talking profiles, talking Fleischman book, talking Fleischman show. (laughs) She's back. Made me really dislike Ariel Levy. Oh, really? Mm. Mm. Huh. I like a segment that just ends with both of us going, huh. It's time for Also Also's, uh, where Jinxie and I go back and forth with some recommendations of things we've been enjoying lately. Jinxie, what's your first one? My first one is a TV show called Kunk on Earth. It was on in the UK uh, BBC show last year, like November last year, but is only just hit Netflix now. My God, it is so funny. I was just sort of cry laughing watching the television last night. It's so great. So it stars Diane Morgan, who's a performer and comedian, British, uh, as Philomena Kunk. Uh, she's this like very, uh, such a good name. She's a very like willfully ill-informed investigator, like a journalist who is trying to get to like, basically this is like kunk on earth. So she is describing like how modern life came to be essentially. So she goes through like the middle ages and like medieval times through to modern history. And she interviews all of these incredible like philosophers and academics. And she just asks them the dumbest questions (laughs) and in a like very straight faced and they answer her like seriously. So they're like in a documentary and she's performing in like a 
I hate to make this comparison, like a Borat kind of way. It's that kind of thing, but it's not really making fun of anyone. Like no one is, she is the butt of the joke at all times. So it's sort of not, it's not, whereas Borat and I really enjoy Borat. Like Borat's trying to like catch people out and show all of these, you know, like political issues. This is not that. This is just this one person trying to make sense of the earth as if they are kind of like an alien anyway. She was uh, created or co-created with Charlie Brooker. Uh, Charlie Brooker, famous you know, British comedian, TV writer, journalist. He's most famous, I guess, for Black Mirror. But he, I think the real Charlie Brooker gold is Brass Eye and Nathan Barley. And if you are a fan of Nathan Barley or Brass Eye, this is very much in that world. So Philomena Kunk started on Charlie Brooker's Weekly Wipe. And she also had a show called Kunk on Britain. Um, and Brass Eye was a spin-off of The Day Today, which is a British I'm going deep in the also's apologies. <laughs> I can tell I really care about this subject. Um, I watch Day Today all the time still. If I really need something to laugh at, I do not go past the day today. Um, that was created by Chris Morris and Armando Iannucci, who made like Alan Partridge, Veep, In the Loop, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's in that kind of gotcha. vein. She describes Christianity as the fidget spinner of medieval times <laughs> and Jesus as the first cancelled celebrity. And oh my God, it's just so funny. I have never heard of Ms. Kunk until you walked into my apartment tonight. <laughs> and I think I'm forever changed. I need to go and meet her. You need, you need to meet, uh, thanks to Zoe for my girlfriend for introducing me to Philomena Kunk. But yeah, this show, Kunk on Earth, is chef's kiss beautiful. You're so lucky, brought, Zoe brought a little Kunk into your life. <laughs> What's my, your first one? My first one has nothing on that. It's a hair also. It's a hair product that I really have liked for many years. Um, I just had a new appreciation for it last week when I was in Sydney, when I went swimming or just generally had wet hair from whatever reason, but didn't want to wash it. It is the Daviness all-in-one milk. It's just like a hydrating product. I used to use it years ago when I was in my Zoe Foster Blake inspired. <laughs> Your hair is actually thin. And when you use traditional conditioners, it weighs it down. So try a leave-in spray conditioner and a comb and see what happens. And I used it then and I've kept a bottle hanging around for any kind of like post swim moment where you don't want to wash. You just want to be hydrated. This um, is good. It's great. It softens, detangles, controls frizz, protects hair from heat. And apparently its secret ingredient is something from the Amazon, not Jeff Bezos' Amazon, like the Amazon on Earth, called <laughs> Ruku oil, which has antioxidant, UV protective and defrizzing qualities. Okay. Yeah, it's great. great. I first started using Daviness years ago because I saw that the Heim sisters – Apparently loved it, and they got very long, shiny hair. Yeah, their hair looks good. It's I've their, seen those laneway photos. They're looking good. It's their whole thing. It is their whole thing. I've also got a beauty also. It's a rouge also. Oh, chic. It's the Baby Cheeks Blush by Westman Atelier. I bought it the other day in Chouchette. Uh, it's pretty pricey for a blush. I will give you that, but... I was sold as soon as the person who was helping me at the shop the other day, I popped over. 
the Armadale store. I hadn't been there before. And um, shout out to Maddie. It's really great. It's like a cream blush, um, cute little packet. I usually use Cloud Paint by Glossier or like the classic NARS orgasm. I love a blush. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of just a natural kind of thing. You can put it on your eyelids as well. You're supposed to be able to put it on your lips. I'm not going to. No, whoever would. But I did put it on my eyelids. Yeah. And it's really good. It's cute. I love a, I love a Westman Atelier. They really, those prices really put the Atelier and <laughs> makeup. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, am I paying for the packaging? Maybe. But I, actually it's really, I think that I will have it for a long time because it's the kind of thing you don't actually use very much of. Mm. I bought a Westman Atelier product also at Mecca last week, but I will hold off to decide if it's also enough for an also next week. Okay. Yeah, there's a product I bought the other day. That I was like, not ready yet. Not ready yet. But this one, it's an easy steal. We take these recommendations very seriously. Yeah, we do. Because the other, like, whatever Brody recommends, I usually buy and vice versa. So <laughs> It has to be good and we'll hear about it. Exactly. My next one is a plant also. The brand You Lucky Things has made these plant pins in a variety of shades and they are... You know, they kind of look like a giant plastic bobby pin that you stick in your pot plant. I've used it to help train some kind of chaotic devil's ivy in my apartment. I first heard about them, though, because I follow Precious Plastics Melbourne on Instagram, which as a side also is just a great follow. They are Australia's first and only Precious Plastics workspace. They collaborate with makers like our fave Ella Rowetti to make like the recycled plates that I have. And they also sell the machinery too. So I didn't know this, but Precious Plastics is this like global kind of like community, I guess, where people have designed these products that help to crush and crush single use plastics, turn them into other products. And all of these machines are like open source software. Like, so you can 3d print your own so that more and more people can make recycled consumer plastics. That's cool. They don't have a patent on it. Yeah. It's so good. Amazing. And so these plant pins are made by you lucky things from 100% recycled uh, plastic and can also be recycled at the end of their life. I love everything that Precious Plastics makes. So, like, that's how I discovered this maker and this product is just from following their Instagram. Cool. They're not paying us. They are not. I freaking wish they would. The other day I saw they crushed down a bunch of, like, little sushi um, soy sauce fish and the little bit of red in the lid made these bright red little plastic cupboard door handles. Oh, cool. Very retro and cute. My last one is a visit also. It's actually a tip from the lecture I went to at the Robin Boyd house. <laughs> it's a good one though. It's iconichouses.org. Oh, iconic. Iconic. It lists very important 20th century homes um, all around the world that you can actually visit, along with a couple of ones that you can actually stay at or some museums or galleries or homes that are being converted into like estates or galleries. Australia only has two open houses listed. It's the Wall Street House and the Rose Seidler House, of course, in Sydney. But it's really great. Iconichouses.org. My last one is a bag also. It's a tote bag. And I know none of us needs another tote bag. I thought the same thing. I promised myself I was never going to buy another tote bag. Um, when I get them for free, I try to say no, et cetera, et cetera. But I saw this tote bag advertised on TikTok by the person who designed it, who's a young woman who lives in Adelaide. And it 
is perfect. It suits all of my needs for a tote bag. It has like a padded divider so you can put your laptop in. It has a hidden zippered pocket. It has a visible zippered pocket. It has a stretchy elastic bit to put your uh, water bottle in. It was the only bag I took with me to Sydney last week. Usually I'm like a bum bag, going out bag, backpack on a trip just in case the day takes me one of those places. It was my like my carry on on the plane. Right. It was my going to the beach bag. It was my going to dinner or to the movies or shopping. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So handy. And it truly fit everything. It's like I said, created by a young woman called Imara who lives in Adelaide. It's just she has really thoughtful sustainability practices, you know, like the zippers are made from post-consumer materials, for example. There's information on her website all about like the conditions for the workers who like produce the bags. I got the Primus Z tote, which is white. There's also an option in black. It's like very minimal range, really thoughtfully designed little bags. I need to have a squiz. That's it for us for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you want to take a second to pop over to Instagram and follow us at See Also Podcast, share this episode with your friends, then head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review. Like that would be a really good use of your time. That would be great. You could set a Pomodoro and spend 25 minutes doing that. Thank you. If you're really slow at at using your phone, it might take you the full 25 minutes. You spend all that time unlocking it, like because you've got that software on that's like no internet. And yeah, tell your friends, please, about our podcast. And thanks as ever to Samuel Hodge for our artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our theme song. Bye. See ya.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.